<laughs> Sorry, Steve. <laughs> You're going to hate us by the end of the day. Uh, okay. Well, welcome back to the Carpangler Chronicles podcast. We have got a super episode for you. Uh, we have none other than Steve Briggs with us. Needs no introduction. Absolute carp angling legend. Steve, welcome along to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, thanks very much for inviting me and having me along. You know, I'm looking forward to this. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be a, a, a great, uh, well, whatever it is, 40, 50 minutes or an hour, whatever it takes, I'm going to enjoy it. Perfect. Perfect stuff. Obviously, we've got Pete here as well. Hi, Sam. Hi, Steve. How are you doing? We're all good. We're all good. Right. So what basically what we're going to do for this um, special guest episode is obviously Steve's, you know, very, very well known for all of his uh, overseas exploits. So we're definitely going to be talking about that um, various waters that he's caught huge fish from, uh, which I I believe he owns a uh, a record in uh, the most 50s from from as many different countries. So uh, we're definitely going to be talking about that. We're talking about casein, and of course, we we can't have him on without chatting about the Black Mirror um, from from the Mirror. So we will be covering all of those topics. First off, most importantly, we're going to discuss our tipple of the episode. Steve, <laughs> I already know what you're drinking, but as uh, as you're our guest, do you want to go first? What is it? What is it you're drinking? Um, yeah, well, I'm halfway through it now. <laughs> um, <laughs> But no, I mean, I, I do like a, a glass of red wine, a good good red now and then. Uh, but I also like a good whiskey. And my favourites are the Irish ones, Jameson's in particular. And to go with that, I, I like Glavar, which is like a whiskey liqueur. So it's sort of 50-50. Um, and it's, it, you know, it blows your head off. Don't get me wrong. It's a strong one. Uh, but it's also really nice. You know, it's hard to just have one. That's the trouble. Uh, but mm. I've started with one at the moment. So we'll see how we get on. It sounds lethal. I think I'm gonna to have to. Uh, I'm gonna to have to try it for my um, for my next episode. Uh, yeah, very very good. Sounds exciting. I'll, I'll definitely give that one a go in the future. Pete, what are you? Uh, what are you rolling with this evening? Yeah, so I've um, the last few weeks I've been enjoying a rum. So I've sort of stuck to the rum sort of thing. Um, and today I've got a Sea Dog Black Spiced Dark Rum. Um, yeah, completely different. Okay. Um, yeah, it's nice. It's quite vanilla-y. It's got like a bit of a vanilla-y tone to it. Uh, so it's going down really well. And I'm just having that with a with a little bit of some Diet Pepsi in there. Nothing too exciting. Very nice. Yeah, it sounds very, very rum, rummy, very sailor-esque. Mm-hmm. Um, today I've got a... Uh, I, I've, I've gone back onto the rums. I know I'm always a whiskey man, um, but I thought I would give give the rum a go after... A bit of a fail with the <laughs> with the dark Bacardi rum that I bought, which I didn't really like. Um, so I've got Sailor Jerry Spiced Rum, the original 80-proof Caribbean rum. So I will be giving this uh, a good go. Um, I've I got to be honest to the listeners, we've, we've had a bit of a hiccup. Steve laughed and said he's already had half of his drink. That is because we started, <laughs> we started the episode about 10 or 15 minutes ago. Had a great chat about whiskey and Irish whiskey and... Uh, my brother living in Ireland and trying different whiskeys, all that stuff. And then I figure out I didn't hit record. So uh, we're actually, we're already partly into the drinks. So uh, the conversation should be flowing pretty well by the time of the end of the podcast. Yeah, it's, um, it's no bad thing, is it really? <laughs> Just no, means a, an extra drink for us. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Never a bad thing. eh? <laughs> cool stuff. Right. Let's uh, let's jump in. I mean, j- just first off, how, how are you coping with the uh, obviously the current situation, coronavirus? Are you, how are you uh, getting through this, Steve? How is everything for you? Well, OK, to be honest, you know, I've just sort of switched off from thinking about fishing. And I, and I suppose in a way it goes back to the old days of the closed season. You know, I was used to having yeah. three months of the year where I couldn't go fishing and, you know, I found other things to do. And it, it's not been such a bad thing in a way because, you know, I've done all those jobs that needed doing my garden. I mean, my neighbours are actually talking to me again now because the, <laughs> the garden's tidy. You know, they hated me before. So it was like a jungle out there. And all of a sudden it's looking quite good. So, you know, I've been able to switch off and do all these bits and pieces. And, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. As soon as there's a chance to get the rods out, I'm going to be gagging. Um, but I'm just mm. trying not to think about it too much, if that makes sense. It, it does. And you're absolutely right about the closed season, um, which is a really good point. I haven't heard anyone talk about that, but it's exactly the same thing. I mean, that, that was the case, wasn't it? That, that you know, there would be no fishing, um, right now, except for maybe a, a few, very few and far between waters, if any at all. So uh, you're absolutely right, aren't you? Um, it's just, uh, it's like the old days again. Well, and yeah, I mean, those three months that we used to miss was some of the best months of the year, you know, from the 15th of March to the 15th of June is when a lot of the big car mm. get caught now at their best weights. You know, we missed that totally in the old days. So, yeah. Uh, I- Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and it's the same for most waters, isn't it? I mean, well, pretty much every water obviously really switches on sort of mid-March time. I believe the mirror, which we're going to talk about, had had good previous form around about that time of year, didn't it? Well, I always used to start fishing it around March time. And, uh, mm. you know, I tended to find I was on my own. There might be the odd other guy having a go, but I like to think that I was getting down there before everyone, you know, sort of mm. giving me a little edge. Yeah. Um, but I never actually caught one at that time of year you know i i i sort of saw fish you know i saw them show i had nights where i got liners so they were active but i i never actually caught one but Mm. for sure it was a good time to be there Mm. yeah absolutely so i mean leaning into your um your time on the mirror which obviously we we want you to to explain and go into as much detail as possible about how was it that you you've first kind of heard about the mirror i understand you probably heard about it long before you fished it but how did that first come about for you well it it was actually uh sort of about the start of the 1990s late 80s and i was on yately and there was a guy who was fishing down there at the time i remember him coming down all excited and he said i've been up in the cold valley walking around this lake he said one million percent i've seen a fish that's a mid 40 and in those days, you know, like we're talking maybe half a dozen forties in the country. So this, and they were all known as well. So for this fish to all of a sudden pop up, he wouldn't tell us where it was either, but he just said it was in the Colne Valley. Um, so, you know, it, it was so exciting, but he just wouldn't say where it was. So we, we sort of, you know, just forgot about it really. Um, and it was only, it was probably six months later and I was trying to make ends meet, doing work here and there. Uh, and I got a bit of work with a, a guy. He was a carp angler, but he had a, a carpet fitting company. So I was doing a bit of work with him, you know, mm-hmm. and, and obviously we was talking about carp fishing, this, that, and the other. Uh, and I started talking about this lake with this unknown 40 pounder. 
And like he could have knocked me down with a feather. He just turned around and said, oh, well, I know where that is. He, he said, I've been up there. Uh, he said, if we finish work early one day, you know, we'll, we'll go over there and have a walk around. And so, sure enough, that's exactly what we did. We, we finished work, went up, and that was my first look at the Mia. Um, and, you know, you could just walk in on there. You, you just got this this sense that it was a, a headbanger. Do you know what I mean? The sort of mm-hmm. place, it, it was just deep. It was full of weed. Uh, we never saw anything. You know, we walked all the way around, and it just looked like there was nothing in there, really. Um and so, you know, I, I had other waters at the time, like Harefield. I started fishing Harefield 1990, and that was such a good water back then mm. um, that I I really thought the Mir was too much of a sort of challenge to take on at the time. So I, I just sort of forgot about it for a couple of years until Jason Hayward caught that fish. Yep. And then as soon as it went, uh, you know, got published, I forget where it I don't know if it was carp talk at the time. Probably was. I think it was, yeah. Yeah, and as soon as I saw that picture, I thought, that's it. That's that fish. Mm. Uh, And sure enough, it was. Even then, you know, it it still didn't spark the interest for me to actually go down there and and fish for it. You know, I was was just in awe that he had actually, I knew how difficult that fish would have been to have caught. And, you know, I just thought, fair play, he's gone down there and, fish for it and and caught it which was an amazing achievement you know for a fish to get to that sort of size and not be known or caught uh was unbelievable so you know fair play to him and yeah it was you know really for me starting to actually get an interest again you know i forgot about it for years i went off and did other things you know fished a lot abroad obviously and it was only really about 2005 and I was talking to different people, you know, the Mio was so undercover, you know, that no one really spoke about it. So it was, uh, you know, you just didn't hear or see anyone or talk about it. So it was like forgotten about. And then all of a sudden, I think it was with Crowey. I was talking to Crowey one day and he, he said, you know what, if I lived where you lived, I'd be on that mirror every day. He said, it's just down the road here, five, seven miles away, whatever it was. He said, I'd be on there all the time. And I thought, you know what? He's got a point. <laughs> uh, and I just, yeah. it, all of a sudden, it just sparked an interest in me. And I, I thought, I've got to get down there and have a look. And I, I hadn't been down there for for years, for years, probably over 10 years. And so I, I literally did no more than that. I just... Uh, put some old clothes on and drove straight down to the Mia. And I couldn't believe how much it had changed. It was totally different to that previous time, all those years before. It was so overgrown that um, even, well, you couldn't even find pathways. You just had to batter your way through bushes and brambles and the swims that had sort of been made uh, had all overgrown. And it was really like a jungle. Uh, didn't see anyone, didn't see any fish, but I just had that urge, that sort of something inside me telling me, I've got to go and fish this place, I've got to fish it. Uh, and so that was what I did. You know, I, I went home and, and got a few bits of gear together. Um, I was literally just planning to sleep on the ground under bushes because, you know, I didn't know anything about it other than I wasn't meant to be there. Uh, 
And in hindsight, it was the wrong way to go about it. I should have tracked down as many people as I could who had fished it and got the information, but I just didn't do that. You know, I literally just went off my own back, not speaking to anyone and going in there totally blind. Um, and so that's what I did. I, you know, for the first few nights, I was literally just hiding under brambles, terrified to come out in case anyone saw me. Mm. Um, not even thinking really about looking for fish. You know, I was just pleased to be hidden away somewhere and, and just fishing on the mirror. It was just a buzz, really, to actually have rods out and say that I was fishing the mirror. Um, but, you know, needless to say, the few nights that year, it was quite late on in the year when I actually went down there as well. It was October, which really should have been like the end of the fishing. You know, that's when it really tailed off. Um, so I sort of did a few nights. Uh, nothing happened at all. I didn't see a fish. I didn't hear a fish. Uh, you know, it it sort of, well, I just did the nights and nothing happened. But what it did give me was the real buzz. Do you know what mm. I mean? It, it, it had a feeling that was just like no other water really than me. You know, it, it, like, it was almost like a forbidding atmosphere. Like you shouldn't be there. Um, and I heard other people say the same thing. You know, it always had this like aura even when you walked on there and there was no one around, it felt like he was being watched. And, you know, um, but it felt special. You know, it felt different to everywhere else. And I just wanted to be there. Uh, and so, you know, there was, there was no question that I was going to start fishing there again the following year, which is, you know, sort of what I did. Um, like I say, you know, I got down there sort of early on. I wanted to be down there early so I didn't miss anything. Um, which in a way was it wasn't a bad thing, but the trouble was being there early in the year. You know, there's no undergrowth, there was no nowhere really to hide. So the places I was fishing was, you know, where I could be hidden away. And again, I wasn't looking for the fish. I wasn't finding the fish. I I was hiding well, if you know what I mean. I was hiding well rather than fishing well, if that makes sense. You know, because it does. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, which, you know, was good in one way. I, I, I felt like I was pretty safe what I was doing. Um, but looking back, you know, I wasn't anywhere close to actually catching a fish. So you you were, you were prioritising not being caught rather than, you know, putting yourself where you think the, fi the fish would be feeding. You, your priority was not to get caught rather than to catch the fish, right? absolutely in in those mm. early days absolutely that's what i was doing you know i was so worried about anyone seeing me there um that yeah my main priority was to get tucked away like be safe not have to worry uh and the fishing actually came second mm. so w was there a kind of turning point for you where you thought Do you know what i'm i'm going to put myself out there a little bit put my nose on the line uh, and really go after these fish yeah, there was a turning point. Um, those first couple of years, really, I didn't put in enough time uh, and I didn't put in the time the right way. You know, I was still having my trips abroad and, and so I was missing big chunks of what was going on anyway. And I'd, I'd come to realise if I was going to do it properly, I had to do it properly and forego everything else. So I started probably, well, the first three years, you can wipe them out because I just wasn't fishing properly. 
it was really on the fourth year of fishing there where I thought, right, this is it. Get into Mia mode. Start cancelling trips to Rainbow and places like that in June because June, I need to be at the Mia. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that that sort of did, that was a turning point in my Mia fishing. You know, t- just taking it a lot more seriously and giving it a load more effort, load more concentration. Mm. Yeah. So I, I mean, so just to backtrack a little bit and then, and then we'll, we'll continue on. Um, you obviously, you came across the mirror in, in the late eighties. Um, I think it was 92 where, when Jason caught it around about there. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that. Um, and then you started like, when, when was it that you actually started fishing it? It was actually 2005 when I started mm-hmm. fishing it. Okay. Okay. Cool. And th- those first few years, or, or th- two or three years, I think you said, where you weren't really all in, you weren't full on. Were you, were you fishing it uh, like every week, or were you just kind of going on there every now and then? Were you were you regularly at it? I was I was fishing it regularly when I, I was at home. The, the problem mm. was I was having trips away to like Rainbow for a week or two weeks, mm. and of course coming back it was just like starting again, you know, fingers off the pulse. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, There there was one instance, which actually I've sort of skipped past, which I should mention uh, about 10. It was about my 10th day of fishing it uh, on the second year. And I found a group of fish in one corner and there was the big common. They always used to talk about a big common. Yeah. Some people, didn't even believe it was in there. I spoke to some good anglers who, who never saw it. Um, but I did see this big common uh, and, and the black mirror was with it. And it was, it was a, a weedy bay at the top end of the lake. There was no chance of fishing there because it was just solid weed. So what I did was bait up all the clean areas that I could find in that top end of the lake. So I found seven spots put bait on those seven spots and come back two days later six of the spots the bait was still there but on the seventh on the last one i checked actually the bait was gone Mm. and so that night obviously you know i put a rod in on that spot uh and i did get i got a take uh about midnight that freaked the life out of me i was just laying on the floor (laughs) under a bramble bush uh and it just you know i wasn't really expecting to get a take but it just went off out of the blue uh, and I just jumped up and rolled down the bank as it was quite a steep bank. And I was feeling around for the rod as I knocked the rod over and everything. And I was actually laying on the rod when I when I found it. I, got, I pulled mm. the rod out from under me and it, the hook length had snapped and the fish was gone. You know, oh, was, no, <laughs> no. Yeah, I was absolutely gutted. Yeah. So, so you at this point, you're 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 obviously you're not bivvied up um, with with a barbecue out. You're sort of you're in the undergrowth. Are, are you sleeping in under like a tarp or something like that, or you just got a sleeping bag in the brambles? Yeah, it was literally just a sleeping bag on the floor under the brambles. Yeah, yeah. you know, in those early days, uh, it was yeah, really uncomfortable, really yeah. uncomfortable. Um, yeah. But you know, with that loss, I thought I'd found a clue. Do you know what I mean? I thought. All I've got to do is find a fish, bait up the areas and see which one gets cleared, you know. And two days later, there was an algae bloom and all the water went green. You couldn't see any of the spots, <laughs> so, mm. you know, and that was it for the rest of the summer. And that was so typical of the Mia, 
you know, you'd find a little clue, think you've got something, and it'd throw a brick wall in front of you. You know, it's it's weird, but it would all, or you'd come back and there'd be a tree falling on the spot you've been baiting. It's it's weird, but it always put up barriers and made it very difficult. Yeah. So, I mean, t- talk to us about that because it, it's about 30 acres, is it? 35 acres? Is that right? Yeah, it's, it's about 35 acres, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and stock-wise, how many cart would you have said it were in there? Um, as far as we knew, there were 17 in there when I fished it. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is obviously, yeah, that's very low stock. Um, but was it, was there something else? Was there another aspect to it that just made it such a headbanger? Because seven, 17 carp in 30 acres, it's by no means, <laughs> you're not, it's not a runs water. But at the same time, it, it, it sounds you know fair so was it just the the nature that you couldn't rove where you wanted or was it perhaps that it was uh just lots of weed going on or were they real finicky feeders what was it that made it a, a real headbanger for you and, and everyone else that fished there yeah mostly that they just wouldn't eat bait they just wouldn't eat it or you know very rarely um getting them mm. feeding on anything we put in was the hardest bit you know the more i fished it the more I ended up finding fish. But you you bait up little spots, and sometimes two weeks later, you know, the bait was still there, just untouched. Uh, and that happened most of the time. It was so rich that, you know, they didn't need any of our mm. baits. Mm. But every now and then, they would eat it. There was little windows of opportunity. You know, they're very rare, but there were those little windows where all of a sudden, they'd just turn on to bait. It might only be for a morning or a day. Um but, you know, uh, recognizing those little windows of opportunity was made a huge difference. Mm, yeah. Did, did you did you go out of the norm with your bait or, or did you keep things yeah, pretty consistent with what you've used before? Um, no, it was it was pretty consistent. You know, it was it, there was nothing special you could do on the bait front to get them to feed. You know, they, they would either come in and have a little feed or they just wouldn't. Mm. And most times they just wouldn't, you know, and the only reasonable way to fish it would be to bait up areas where you could monitor the area, you know, go mm-hmm. down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I would have like half a dozen spots around the lake. And, you know, on a daily basis when I was there, I would just go round and check the spots, try and find the fish and check the spots, you know, see if they've been eating the bait, see if they've been in on the spot. Uh, and just wait for an opportunity, really. Mm-hmm. And and this is all blind. You you didn't you didn't kind of get some inside info and and figure out you know what what did happen in there, the patterns of the lake. You just kind of went in blind to it all and and figured it all out on the job, so to speak. Yeah, this this was all totally blind. You know, like I say, those, those first few years were probably wasted, really, just by not being up to speed on on what the score was down there and i probably could have made it a lot shorter by you know just befriending people who had fished there over the years but i just didn't know who these people were you know they kept mm. it so under wraps and i was more in tune with what was going on on the continent than what i was you know with what was going on just down the road from me so so when you did go in did you did you kind of formulate a plan and you think you thought I'm going to stick to this and, and see what comes of it? Or did you literally just change things on a day-to-day basis? When really once I'd lost that first fish, you know, I knew that was a, a plan that would work. So whenever 
the water was clear enough and, you know, the fish were up. It would normally be around sort of late April, early May when the fish would start getting in the edge. So that was the plan from then on. As long as the water was clear, I'd be baiting up those little spots and just keep monitoring the spots every day that I was there just to see if the fish had been in and fed on them. You know, most times they just didn't. Most times, but every now and then there'd be a little opportunity where they'd come in and feed on a spot and that was your chance. Mm, mm. And, and are you just putting kind of like a handful of, of, of tigers or boilies or something in? Or are you baiting heavier than that? What was your approach? Uh, it, it wasn't baiting heavy. Um, they wouldn't eat a lot of bait anyway. Mm. So it was probably uh, 20 boilies on each spot, just, yeah. uh, you know, sort of crumbled and a few whole ones, a few half ones, you know, just a bit like that, just that so there was food down there and you could see if it was gone or not mm-hmm. yeah absolutely did you go down the route of naturals uh, so using something like casters or maggots or or even uh, like zebra mussels did you go out of the box of anything at all um i, I tried water snails the place was full of water snails mm. um but it, it was a bit like fishing for a cow in a field of grass you know it yeah, was yeah. there were so many millions of them that why yeah. would they want to pick my one up mm. um yeah the bait boily you know i didn't use particles much although they would have been an option um but yeah boilies would were just the only reasonable option mm. if, if that makes sense yeah 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 no absolutely yeah so so anyway back back to what you know where you were going with that story the first fish that you lost <clears throat> was was that in in the early years or was that after a few years that was on, on my second year on there yeah. um quite early in the, the first year i'd only done three or four nights because it was late on in the year mm. uh, and then it came quite early in the second year you know it would have been in sort of early june late may of the the second year mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. So, you know, as soon as that happened, I, I thought, I thought I've got it sussed here, you know, a few nights in, I've had a take already. Little did I know what, you know, I was in for really, because uh, it was, you know, it was a long time. That was 10 nights in. And uh, when I did actually get my first one, it was on my 64th night. Wow. Uh, on the late. Yeah. So, yeah, so it was quite a bit later, a long time down the road. That sounds like my fishing. <laughs> I don't catch much either. <laughs> okay, so 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 obviously, still, even though you lost that one fish, massive confidence booster, I imagine, for you. Um, you 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 sort of you feel like you're off to the races, right? So, what from from that time to when you actually landed your first one, what were the processes? What what happened? Can you dive into that a bit? Well. Uh, yeah, I mean, I did get a, a massive confidence boost losing that fish because I knew that I could catch a mere carp, if you know yeah. what I mean, instead of just mm. hoping. I knew I could catch them. But the problem was that, like I say, there was always a wall put up in front of the opportunities. You know, like um, the rest of that year, the water had an algae bloom, so you couldn't bait the spots and watch it. Um, it was very hard to find a spot in open water because it was just all weed everywhere was weed um so there was always more problems than solutions but i did know that all the time normally early in the year 
when the water was clear, that was the time to bait up margin spots. And that was, you know, the time when I was going to catch them. Yeah. Yeah. And when, when did you finally catch one? Well, like I say, it was on, on me 64th night. I know it was early June and like I say, I'd, I'd been baiting margin spots and going around checking them every day. And I, I came up to this one spot and I hadn't seen fish feeding anywhere, you know, and by now the weed was already starting to come up. It was actually coming up on the spots I was baiting uh, about two foot off the bottom. And I was beginning mm. to wonder whether they were just going to completely weed over. Uh, and all of a sudden I just came to this one little corner in a bay and it looked like a tractor had been through there. All out of nowhere, the fish had been in there and fed like a good one. Uh, and as I was standing there watching, this common about 34 pounds, something like that, just wandered through and you could sort of see that he was looking for food. Um, the problem was there was some people walking around the lake uh, that I didn't know and they didn't look right, if you know what I mean. They were looking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, I dared not fish. You know, I, I desperately wanted to fish, but I couldn't. So all I did was stash all my gear and I, I went home. Uh, and, you know, I, I was sitting there and I, I didn't know what to do with myself. I was looking to be watching. It would be like a minute after I last looked. And I sat there all day like that. I just couldn't wait to get back to the lake because I just thought, this is my chance. This is it. Mm. Um, so it got, you know, to all sort of dusk, I suppose. It, I couldn't wait any longer. And I, I, I was so confident that I actually, uh, I knew that if I got a take, I'd have to put my chest waders on. So I actually had my chest waders on in my sleeping bag because I knew I was going to have to be up. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I, I woke up. I mean, I love a sleep, don't get me wrong, but I woke up about four o'clock in the morning, looked at my rod. I thought, oh, no, it hasn't gone off. You know, it hasn't gone off. I'd been there about four or five hours. Oh, no. And literally, as I flopped back... Uh, and with that, it just ripped off. Literally, I just flopped back thinking, oh, no. And it just ripped off the fish. Oh, wow. And, and the hook bait was probably about six foot in front of where I was sitting. <laughs> so I was lucky I didn't spook it, really. No um, way. Yeah. And, you know, I just, just a heart attack moment. It really was. After all that time, you know, it's just, you know, hard to explain. Uh, but there I was in the lake, up to my chest, playing this fish. This fish just roared off up the lake but like a typical sort of wild carp went on a long first run and then sort of just run out of uh you know sort of uh energy yeah you know, just, just flopped in mm. yeah just flopped in yeah and it came back uh and it wasn't a big one it was just over 20 pound a wild long looking common mm. um but it was Amazing. a mere carp you know yeah i mean that that's uh, it nonetheless of the size that that's worth that's worth any 30 or 40 anywhere else surely for you at that point that that was like hitting the lottery i bet oh to be honest that that fish was the best fish i'd ever caught up until that yeah. point yeah. yeah you know i've caught a lot of lovely carp and all that from different places but that was a mere carp you know and, mm. and that to me was the ultimate prize at that point amazing absolutely amazing so did, did you have any other fish that session or was that that the only one that came um yeah that was that was it that session uh, and all of that summer actually you know yeah. as hard as i tried um you know and I, that was when i really started trying hard on that fourth year i was down there mm. all the time you know i was i was 
spending more and more and more time there because I knew that those little opportunities were very few and far between. And if I wasn't there, I was going to miss them. Mm. So I was spending a lot of time there and, you know, I just couldn't get anything going. Um, but as it wore on later in the year, we're, you know, we're getting to sort of September time and the leaves are starting to drop and the big weed beds are starting to float up. And there was one area that every time I'd left, I was putting a bit of bait on this spot in open water. And all it was, it was the clearest spot I could find on the lake. Most of it was just solid weed. This bit, you could actually get a little bit of a drop on the bottom. Not a great one, but I kept bait going in on there. And when they started showing in the in the edge, you know, I just started drifting out into open water. I, I cast a lead out on this spot that I'd been baiting, and all of a sudden it just went donk mm. and was really smooth. And I thought, hold up, <laughs> something's <laughs> going on here. You know, it was never like yeah. that before. Yeah, yeah. And... Uh, so yeah, I, I you know I, I had a little hinge rig pop up on that, uh, and over the course of two weeks, um, I did two four night sessions in a, in a swim called the beach. This little area was, um, and I had one take on on the third day of the first session, uh, and it, it was this. Well, it was a lovely wood carving common twenty nine twelve. Um, it's just a beautiful thing. Mm. Um, and the following week, I had a, another common off exactly the same spot, same rig, same little pop-up, um, 38 and a quarter, this big, fat, deep common. Wow. Um, they were the only two bites in the five years I fished it. They were the only two bites I ever had from open water, and they both come off that little spot in the space of a week. So, wow. But, yeah, you know, that was... I was over the moon with them, do you know what I mean? Because they, they come sort of late on, you know, it was it was getting near the time. October was almost, if you hadn't caught one by then, you weren't going to catch one sort of thing. Mm. Mm. I've, I've, I wouldn't normally ask, but we're, we're bait men. Um, <laughs> I've got to ask you, seeing as you emphasised that it was, they were both on the same little pop-up. What was the little pop-up that you were using? I thought you was going to ask that. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um they were actually homemade. Um, I, I used to have a big thing about microwave pop-ups. And mm. all, my, all my life, my favourite pop-ups have been microwave pop-ups. And you just cannot get a mix for them now. I would still make them now if you could get the mix. Yeah, you can't. No. You just can't. No. Um, but they were homemade little yellow plum pop-ups. And uh, funny enough, I caught a lot of good fish. I had one bag that for about a year I didn't use them. And when I started using them, everywhere I took them, I caught good fish on them. Mm. And once they run out, I never had any more. That was the end of. Gutted. Yeah. What What was it? What, what, other than the, the, the pop-up base mix, obviously, what was in it that you had the plum fa- flavor? Did you add any organic acids or betaine or, or any, anything else? No, there, there was a, a few different little things that I'd had from, from various, uh, I suppose, you know, from the Hutchinson days. You know, I used to love Hutchinson baits mm. in in the sort of late nineties. So I, you know, I used to have his um, oh dairy sense appeal. Oh, what was the? You know, I'm trying to think what they were now. It was it was like a he had a fruit um, powder enhancer and he had a dairy powder enhancer. 
Mm-hmm. And I used to put a little bit of both in. You know, I used to make it sort of a bit fruity, a bit creamy, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I if I remember right, it was the SBS Sweet Plum. That was the flavour. Uh, yeah, which was probably the best plum flavor I ever used. Yeah, you know that was it was a magic little flavor, and along with the dairy, you know, sense appeal, and you know, it all just worked together. Yeah, it was. They, they were good little pop ups. They were <laughs> absolutely. Um, okay, so I mean, you, you mentioned obviously you, you, you know, you had a, an occurrence where there were some people walking around that weren't looking right, and. Um, j- just for the listeners that aren't too clued up on it, obviously fishing, unfortunately, wasn't allowed on there at, at, at the time, at that time um, in life. Is that due to it being a site of specific science interest or, or, or was there something else going on there that, that perhaps people don't know? Well, yeah, I mean, it, it was an interesting story, really, because at one time it used, you used to be able to join it on a club ticket. You know, yeah. hardly anyone did, but it was possible. Mm. And it was going to become a landfill site. You know, yeah. this was the problem. And the anglers who were on there, they got together and they decided that they were going to try and save it. And their way of doing it was to get uh, in touch with the nature groups, blah, 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 yeah. whatever, and, and just try and get across how special the place was, uh, the wildlife and everything that was on there. And they, sure enough, they came down and said, you're right you know this this place is amazing the wildlife and everything else mm. uh we've got to make it a triple s eyesight uh, and basically save the lake but stop fishing <laughs> you know you've got to stop fishing so it was like um they saved the lake but at their own expense which was a bit of a bummer <laughs> yeah that that i remember reading um wilmot's book and and that was um alan tomkins wasn't it i That's believe it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which obviously, I, I think, I think he got a bit of a, a bit of a hard time over over doing that. But it obviously transpires that it was either that or it's going to get filled in. And obviously, you know, you you don't want it to be filled in, do you? So, um, well, yeah, I remember reading about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he basically he saved the lake. You know, mm. I mean, it would we would have lost it if it hadn't been for what he did. Yeah. Um, and you know, in a funny sort of way it made the mere what it was. It, it, it made it so special and made the fishing there so special because of the way we had to fish it. You know, if mm-hmm. it was a free-for-all or a club water, it wouldn't have had that same aura, what it had. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I imagine even if it was, a, you know, a I don't know, something ridiculous like a three-man syndicate, I, I bet my bottom dollar it still wouldn't have had that same kind of mystique um you know obviously it's it's not right to go and fish somewhere that you shouldn't etc but you know but back in in that day and age it i imagine that was just part of the magic there and you said yourself every time you were there it was like electric you felt like oh i shouldn't be here but i'm being watched and but at the same time you're so compelled and drawn to it it must have just been such a such a unique experience in your angling life i can only imagine i mean i, I really can uh, there, there was nowhere else like it. There really wasn't. You know, there, you were sitting there amongst nature because mm-hmm. you wanted everything to be as undi- untouched and undisturbed as possible. So, you know, the pathways were tiny and the little swims we had were tiny. We just blended in with the undergrowth. And, mm-hmm. you know, we, you'd sit there and deer would walk past, you know, kingfishers on the rod, you know, this 
this isn't imaginary it all happened you know and like nature would just come to you because you were blending in with it you wasn't setting up a bivy and a big open swim you know you were just Mm. in the undergrowth and yeah it was amazing the nature and wildlife around that place was you know unbelievable exceptional it it was all part of what made it what it was yeah just quickly what what was the most surprising thing for you about the mere and your time on the mere uh the most surprising thing um I, I, probably i suppose the fact that i didn't actually get caught you know i mean <laughs> that there wasn't more it was almost like there was a truce on there in reality mm. um that you know they knew we were there but they they could see we was looking after it mm. if you know what i mean no one else was looking after it we were you know i would go down there in the winter and do my own work parties picking up rubbish and things like that because i knew it would people you know it'd benefit us in the long run you know if they could see we was looking after it they'd think well you know Absolutely. what harm are they doing so yeah that sort of surprised me because i know it had been a lot more strict before that and you know those first couple of years i was terrified fishing i really was mm. getting caught and then i came to realize um for that period that there was almost a truce you know so that's yeah in a way that sort of surprised me mm-hmm. yeah i mean wh- how was the accessibility there was it i mean i appreciate in the early days you 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 were perhaps a little bit overcautious with it all once you'd kind of um got used to it a little bit w- w- was the accessibility you know a, a real issue or did you know w- was it better than you expected did you have to leave your gear down there or did you take it every trip yeah, a lot of the gear I used to leave down there. My bed chair, sleeping bag, brolly. Uh, in the end, I used to have an oval brolly and everything, you know, and made it a lot more comfortable for myself. But all of that stuff I used to leave down there and stash. Yeah. I used to wrap it up in, like, sheeting and bury it, mm-hmm. you know, hide it in the bushes. Uh, so like, I just took my rods, uh, you know, and a bit of food uh, and a little rucksack with me. So... It, you still had to run the gauntlet going in there because you had to get in through like a, a sailing club entrance. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's sort of picking the times a bit where you could get in because there was a few times I went in and, you know, if they if they saw you, if you happened to bump into someone, they would always question what you were doing, yeah. you know, and they knew, you know, they knew that anglers were on there and they didn't particularly like it that we were on there. So mm. if they saw you, they would always question it. Um, so, you know, you could sort of pick the times you knew when they would come and go, when they wouldn't be there. So, you know, and it was like getting in tune with the fishing. You would get in tune with knowing when it was okay to go in and out, if you know what I mean. You know, you mm. could pick your times. Yeah. What was your story when they did apprehend you? <laughs> um, well, we, we we had all different stories. Um <laughs> basically that we were going to fish somewhere else but um, we were so worried about the cars getting broken into that we mm. it was easier to park there and walk up with the gear uh, that was one um some that we were just bird watching <laughs> you know these are all tripods <laughs> in the bags and th- things like that of course of course yeah. <laughs> and you know there, there was no one that actually ever said well let me have a look you know you just sort of bluffed it off and, and sometimes you, you know you just had to be up front with them there, there was a guy who followed me in with a big alsatian one day and he said what are you doing here 
you know, and I've, I've got my rucksack. And yeah. I said, well, I'm just going over there. He said, what are you fishing? And I said, yeah, you know, I just come out of it. Yeah. And he said, oh, okay. <laughs> and, you know, he was, he said, you know, I'm sort of, uh, not security, but he said, you know, I'm just keeping an eye on what's going on. But he was okay, actually. You know, I think because I was straight with him, he was okay with me. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair enough, isn't it? Yeah, I, yeah. I think that the thing is, obviously, that place was very, very dear to, to, to carp anglers' hearts. But I think other people as well, from from what I understand of the place, um, you know, th- there was a lot of bird watchers down there. It was it was just one of those places that was, you know, electric. It wasn't just the fish that were special there. It was, you know, it, it was it was the other nature, the the animals there, um, and the foliage, the uh, the plant life. It, it was it was a very unique place, as far as I understand. Never been there, but um, oh yeah, absolutely amazing for everything. It really, really was, and probably you know, it's just as much now. You know, I haven't been down for a while, but um, you know, it is. Yeah, I mean, mo- thankfully, most of the bird watchers used to come down quite late autumn really as the carp fishing was sort of tailing off that's when they would begin to come down and you'd see them coming down you know i mean uh, some of the gear they had the lenses and all that mm. you know they would obviously have spotted us tucked mm. away in bushes yeah. no problem you know um yeah. but yeah luckily the the two sort of sets of us didn't sort of we, we didn't overlap that much we they mm. took over from us as we pulled off thankfully yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and I mean, talking of, of special, special things in there, there was a common that, that was a bit bigger even than the mirror, wasn't there? It, well, it was about the same sort of size. I mean, the first time I saw the common, um, the black mirror actually came in alongside it. Yeah. And, you know, the, the common was shorter than the black mirror, but it was wider. So, right. you know, I couldn't tell the depth, but it could have been... It could have been five pound bigger or it could have been a couple of pound less. You know, I could never be sure. But I saw it um, a few times, actually, always in the same area where I first saw it. It was always up the top end in a little weedy bay. Um, one day I had a pop up on its nose for about an hour. You know, it's <laughs> it was just sitting there. Um, but, you know, it was it was never going to eat it. It just wasn't. Mm. Was that the plum special? Was it not? It, it was one of them. It yeah. was, wasn't it? And it yeah, didn't work, uh, it. <laughs> maybe in the right time at the right place. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, f- finally, on the mirror, the the day that you and I know this story. I'm I'm a bit of a bit of a fan, bit of a geek of the mirror, to be honest with you. Um, but the day that you caught the the black mirror, can you just go into that and and run us through it all? Well, yeah, I mean, on on that fifth year, two thousand and ten. Um, I started seeing it all the time, you know, like from going for the first couple of years where I was lucky to see a fish. I got so in tune with the place that I was seeing the black mirror and finding it every time I went down, you know, I just, and there were some really good anglers on there at the time and, and they were fishing other areas. And I, I was thinking, well, they're not going to see it up there because it's down here. But they didn't know it was down there, if you know what I mean. Mm. And I was, I was that in tune with it, you know, it was, the best I've ever fished, without a doubt. I was really on my game. Um, and, and put in 100%. You know, it's not very often I put in 100%, but I was there. And in particular, th- there was one little bay where I actually caught my first carp from there. Same bay. Kept baiting that up, and it kept coming into that bay. Sometimes 
with four or five fish, sometimes with just a couple. And the first time there was four or five fish all in that bay, bit of bait was gone. And I thought, right, I'm going to catch one of you. But I didn't know which one. Mm. Uh, and it turned out to be the fat common again. It was down in weight of 34 pound, but it was one of the five and a black mirror was there. And literally about three weeks later, three fish were in the bay again. The black mirror was there and two commons, two original commons. And a bit of bait was gone again. Put me up bait in there. Next morning, off it's gone. It was one of the commons. A beautiful common, don't get me wrong. It was it was um, one of the first ones that Terry Owen caught. Uh, when mm-hmm. he got he got caught in the act, he got caught by the guy looking for him. <laughs> and it was that common. So, you know, it was a very special one. Wow, yeah. But I knew that there were three fish there. One of them was the Black Mirror, but I'd caught the common. And mm. uh, But the day it actually happened... Uh, and it was it was June the 18th, and on June the 16th, I'd left and baited the spot again, and England were playing in the World Cup. The World Cup was on, and England were playing that day, so everyone was at home watching the telly. Good time perfect, to go fishing, yeah. Perfect day to go to the mere. Yeah. So I went down, and I got there at four o'clock in the afternoon. No problem, of course, walked straight in there. First job, checked the bay where I'd baited up two days earlier. I looked over. And there was a common actually feeding on the bait. Literally just got there, and there's a common tail up on me bait. And it was a fish they called the Twisty Common. It was one of the old originals, uh, and one that I'd really love to have caught. So r- stepped right back, got a rod out, just one rod, got a rig on, bottom bait, peered over the edge, and the common it w- was gone. You know, it wasn't there. I thought, perfect. You know, so I could just lower the bait. Mm-hmm. I was on a sort of tree stump that just leant over the edge a bit so I could just lean out with the rod lower it and actually place it on the bottom on this little clear spot and straighten the hook length out and I remember seeing it and thinking yeah that looks good just on the edge of the the weed and just push the bank stick in put the rod on it uh, and I stepped back and I thought right I'll I'll send uh, Joan you know my partner I'll send her a text and say that, you know, I've just, literally just got here and I've seen a fish already. I'm, and no sooner, I literally just got the phone out of my pocket and the, the rod blitzed off. I'd been there a minute. The rod had been in the water a minute. No longer than that. And I, so the phone was launched in the brambles, you know. <laughs> I had to literally grab the rod and just jump in the lake, you know, because I was fishing near a tree and I had to get the, the angle around this tree which was no problem, but I had to jump in to do it. So I did that, presuming that I'm playing the common. You know, that's what I just presumed, that the twisty common had turned around, picked up my bait. Mm. And I'm up to my chest playing this fish. It went through a weed bed, and I sort of bullied it a bit, um, thinking, you know, it's a 25, 28-pound common. And because of the angle I was at, and, you know, reflection on the surface. I couldn't see down in the water to see what fish it was. And so I'm playing it, and all of a sudden, this back hit the surface. And, you know, like, first thing was that it was bigger than what I was expecting. And I thought, that, that's a mirror. Um, but it didn't register. But, you know, at the time, there was there was two mirrors in there. There was possibly three. I did see a little fully-scale mirror. But there was basically a 30-pound mirror, and there was the black mirror. And I thought, it was a mirror. 
and it, it you know it didn't sort of register but I'm, I've carried on playing it and then as it's sort of came up to the net and just over the net just the size of it should have give it away but you know it's just it's weird you're just not thinking straight and mm. it was the tail that lobe of the tail the flat yeah. lobe you know yeah, that yeah. went over and into the net and I thought oh my god <laughs> <laughs> you know and it was just meltdown you know I threw literally just threw the rod behind me grabbed the net and looked in it and yeah my head just exploded I, I can't even remember what happened it was just amazing I've never had a feeling like that in fishing in my life you know it was just incredible uh, but there it was it was in the net the black mirror it was there you know, unbelievable amazing I bet you had a few Jamesons and Glavar that night didn't you I sure did. Oh, I'm having one now, just on the yeah. strength of it. <laughs> Good man, yeah. It's such a magical story, and uh, I'm the same. I've caught fish that I've been after, and I'm playing it. I'm like, can't can't be. I can't caught one from here or, or what have you. And even when it's in the net, you still have to check back, don't you? And you 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 double, you know, you you, you double guess yourself and think, no, it can't be. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a weird sort of feeling, isn't it? Because yeah. you're looking at it but, and, you know, it's there in front of you, but it's almost like you're dreaming, you know. You yeah. Think, Is yeah. this real? Is it yeah. real? Yeah. You looked at so many pictures, you know, of the fish. and I mean, Terry Ann's book, you know, Pursuit of the Largest. Yeah. I must have read that chapter on the Mia, God knows how many times. And I had to stop reading it in the end to do my own fishing instead of, like, trying to sort of go down the same lines as Tell, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah amazing and and you were the last the last man that caught it it was yeah it was actually the last bite on the lake before they all really died. yeah it was the last wow. last bite that's how close it was yeah, yeah literally no one else had a bite off anything mm. uh, and then yeah eight weeks or whatever it was later yeah you know we got the tragic news oh yeah got in 2010 what was what was the date that you caught it it was June the eighteenth. I caught it. Right, right. Yeah. Oh, just four. <laughs> yeah, quarter past four. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Remember it down to the minute. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Yeah, yeah. Just in the open season, which is which is kind of nice. I don't yeah, know. Which was kind of nice. Yeah, you yeah. know. That's yeah. When I thought when I baited up on June the sixteenth, you know, I baited up at the start of the season and caught yeah. it just in, inside, which was yeah, yeah it's nice. Something but, very proper about that. I love it. I love it. Absolutely love it. Thank you so much for relaying those stories. Um, I mean, honestly, I'm I'm sitting here in my element. (laughs) This is (laughs) surreal for me. Uh, So thank you so much. I think what we'll do is uh, we'll move on to your overseas adventures, which I think Pete is going to speak to you about now. Okay. Yeah. um, I don't know if we'll be able to match that. Can I just, sorry, I know we've sort of covered the mirror, but just one question about the mirror. Um, from, From your capture... Was that once you caught the black mirror? Was that sort of like um, the end of the the mirror for you, or would you have stayed on if it wasn't for the fish kill? Uh, would you have gone back for the big common? Yeah, actually, good question that because most people the the black mirror was the target, and once they caught that, they pulled off. And I did the next day after I'd caught it, I did go down, pack all my gear up that was there, that was stashed, and I took it all away. Um, but it, it does have an amazing pull. And within a week or two weeks, I was walking back around the mirror, 
And yeah, without a doubt, I would have gone back down and tried to have caught some of the commons because there were other good commons in there. There was probably only half of the fish in the mere ever got caught. And we were seeing other good commons that, you know, including that big one that just never got caught. And yeah, I would have gone back and, and tried for one of them for sure. How many of the like the seventeen known fish did you did you get through before you caught the black mirror? Um, I I in the end I had six and lost two, mm-hmm. so I had five five other fish and lost two before I caught the black mirror. Yes, yeah, it's, it's sort of amazing to sort of to think of the the number of nights you did um, for the number of the fish. It's a it's an amazing feat, sort of what you went through uh, to get the prize. So yeah, awesome awesome story. Um, just uh, just just quickly, when you say that there was a few more uh, commons that that you know decent sized commons, how big were they? What what what's a decent common in the uh, in the world of the mere? Well, there, there were certainly three or four forties in there. There there was one that was the biggest uh, common that actually got caught out of there, which was forty three or forty four. Wow. Uh, it was only ever caught once, and I never saw that actually until my last year on there, until 2010. So the first four years, I never saw that at all. And then when I did see it, I saw it three or four times, and that looked big as well. Do you know what I mean? It wasn't the big one, but it was big. Um, And there were were other ones that I saw that were high 30s, low 40s, and, you know, they just never got caught. Never got caught. Mm. What a water. It's just amazing. It's... um... It's uh yeah hard hard one to follow that I'm not sure there'll ever be anywhere like that again but uh but I hope there is I hope to read about it one day yeah for sure I hope so too yeah it was it actually um it blew me away for my English fishing for quite some time because after the Mia I was looking for another Mia yeah how and it just wasn't that? yeah I you, couldn't you follow can't. it no. I couldn't follow it you know going abroad was giving me the buzz because I love the adventure um. But as far as the UK fishing goes, the to me the the Mia was the ultimate, and you know I couldn't find another one. I sort of got over it now, <laughs> but it took me ten years. <laughs> uh, I don't blame you. <laughs> I don't blame you. <laughs> That's it. Um, wh- when did you first sort of um go across to Europe, Steve? Um, and what was your sort of uh, your reasoning or your inspiration to do it? Um. Well, me first trip was oh it goes right back to 1986 mm-hmm. and um i was what i was 25 at the time i'd only just learned to drive you know i'd literally only just learned to drive and i just got my first car uh as literally i I just had a really good season on darrenth where i was fishing at the time and a lot of you know there was so much going on you know with me just passing my test and all that um but then Cassian hit the headlines. There was a huge seventy-six pound mirror that Kevin Ellis caught, mm-hmm. and it just blew me away. And that and that was in June of that year. That was June nineteen eighty-six. And I thought, I've got to go and have some of that. I've got to go and just try it. Just to my plan was just to go there once to say I fished it, had the experience, uh, and sort of move on, carry on with my normal stuff. So. You know, like September 1986, headed off down there uh, with my girlfriend of the time. You know, she she quite fancied the idea of the south of France, I think, <laughs> like they would. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we, you know, loaded my little Mark III Cortina and, and headed off down there. But 
uh, it, it just blew me away. You know, I, I'd seen pictures of the fish. I'd seen pictures of the lake. And somehow, I just, in reality, I didn't think it was going to be as good as it looked. Uh, and it turned out it was even better than it looked. You know, the, it wasn't the size of the place. You know, the size didn't blow me away because I knew it was big before I went there. But it was just the whole atmosphere, the the lovely clean water, uh, sandy beaches, the big fish jumping at night. And, you know, it was um, well, just so different, but so good. You know, it just blew me away. It really did. What was a general sort of stamp of stamp of fish, like the size of fish, uh, back in casing back in the day? There, there wasn't a huge head of carp back then. Um, there, there was there was a number. I, I suppose there were there was a, a range, the whole range of fish really, because we caught them from sort of ten pound uh up until the high 70s you know which with kevin ellis mm. caught um so there, there was you know a lot of them were sort of 20 30 pounds there was quite a few 40 pounders um you know but there was a, a number of 50s um not loads but they were in there but you know when you consider 50s didn't exist for us until no. then you know like the biggest fish i'd ever seen was just over 30 pound from darrenth and that was all we knew. You know, mm. we didn't know anything else. And then all of a sudden, like, here was a lake with 50 pounders and even the chance was 70. It was like winning the lottery. Do you know what I mean? These, this uh, didn't exist until we found out about Cassian. So it was, it was um, for me, it was like the hair rig. You know, it was that bigger advance or the fish mill boom. You know, this was the start of the continental boom and all those, the charts were really big fish. That was where it all started. How, how was it? I imagine sort of when you first go in over there and you're completely green to, I guess like the road trip and the big European fishing sort of how, how much of a shock was it? Was it to the system? Um, did you sort of, you go and then you come back thinking I seriously need to sort of up my game here or did you sort of fall into it? Okay. Um, no, it was, it was a huge learning curve. It really was. I mean, where do you start? I mean, my rods for fishing in England were 11 foot, one and three quarter pound carbons. So that's what I took the Cassian, 11 foot, one and three quarters. You know, they'd be light barbel rods now. You know, you wouldn't even dream of using them for carp, but that was all I had, you know, so you went across and I can remember going up the North Arm and pulling in at the side and casting out a marker float. And, well, I got fed up with waiting for it to hit the bottom. You know, it was taking that long. I thought, what's the point? So I just reeled it back in and went somewhere else. You know, it was that deep. It just, the lead never even got to the bottom. Mm. Um, you know, and it, there was, oh, there was so much, you know, the snags. I'd never fished a lake with tree stumps and things like that. I was losing every rig every time I reeled in it was uh a bit soul destroying um but I, I'd learned sort of just to fish at the times when the fish were feeding you know and just ignore the rest of the times because I was just losing tackle uh and the other thing was the crayfish you know I'd never fished anywhere with crayfish and and they were annihilating our baits so there was there was so much to learn it was it was such a huge uh, adventure really to take on looking back um 
but an exciting one. You know, it, it was it was problems that I wanted to overcome, and you know, things that excited me about fishing. It, it was great. You know, everything about it was great. Yeah, it's that that sort of um, era. So I mean, the, the Kevin Ellis fish is something that's always struck me as something that's like at one of those iconic moments in carp fishing. I was actually born in 1986, so I can only imagine. Was you really? <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, so I can only imagine sort of, I guess, I'm, I'm just about in the millennial bracket, um, just times have changed so much. So you guys are going out there um, with just, it's just a different world back then. I guess even from sort of driving driving across there nowadays, um, I've got the luxury of Google Maps uh, and sat nav i imagine you had to sort of it was it was really was back then sort of a drive and survive um well it it was literally a car and a map that was all we had you know there was there was no internet there was no mobile phones you know there was no information there was nothing there was literally this little bit of bit of blue on a map in this country called france you know which i'd never been to before you know no one I knew had been to France. It was that was how it was in them days. Yeah, and it was a long way away. It took me oh three days, I think. I got lost in Paris. I shouldn't have even been anywhere near Paris, but you know, it was it, it, everything that could sort of be thrown in your face happened, sort of thing. But that all sort of made it what it was. You know, it was a big adventure. And and now people go to France every year for a jolly up with their mates and, you know, a beer up with the lads. <laughs> but in back in them days, um, we just made it up as we went along. And, you know, they were brilliant days. You know, I'd love to be able to go back to them days and do it all again because it was fantastic. Yeah, I imagine, like, magical, magical stuff. Um, so... I guess like like Cassian sort of um, lit the fire for you uh, and you're sort of renowned now, especially um, your YouTube blogs and things. Um, you're renowned as a, as a European sort of trekker. Um, you get around the continent. Um, so you've got a record, haven't you, that Sam mentioned earlier, which is you've caught more 50 pounders from different countries than anybody else. How how many is that, Steve? Um, well, it's, it's, uh, 14 countries now. So, uh, <clears throat> I'm one in front. I've got a, a guy in Slovenia. He's a good mate, actually, Christoph Kuderman. And he was ahead of me for a while. He, he was on 11 countries when I was on nine, you know, for, for a few years, I thought there was no one else out there. And then, and then he came out the woodwork and said, oh, well, I've caught all these. And, you know, sure enough, he has. I thought, blimey. So, uh, I've gradually caught him up. And overtook him, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, I'm now on 14 countries, and he's one behind on 13. So wow. we sort of spur each other on, if you like, you know, which is it's good, you know. It, he's he's great. He puts me on waters. I try and help him as well, and it's friendly rival rivalry, if you like. Yeah, um, nice. Yeah, I've got. <laughs> yeah, that's nice. Is is it yeah, all? I've in just Europe? got the upper hand at the moment. Sorry, Steve. Is it? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, we've got the South African one. Um, just trying to think. Yeah, I suppose the rest are all in Europe. But um, yeah, the other one, the, the only one outside would be South Africa. Nice. Nice. No, excellent. Um, so one thing I was going to ask you, uh, and it's one of our sort of our questions um, that we're going to ask sort of like all of our guests, is what is the most surreal thing to happen to you when fishing? Um, 
So you can answer that however you like, but there was one thing which might sort of crop up in that was one of your um, one of your videos. I distinctly remember you catching a deer. Um, I didn't know if you could yeah. <laughs> tell us about the deer. Yeah, I, I mean, just thought that was fascinating. <clears throat> it, it was quite a strange one because um, it, we was on a, a lovely little lake called the Secret Garden. And with the lake, you get a house. You know, a house comes with it. And it's it's a lovely, beautiful house that literally overlooks the lake. So, you know, we sort of spend a lot of time. We have the meals in the house, this Sky TV in there. So, you know, the rods were out outside anyway. And I'm sitting there and I think we were just having lunch. And the sounder box has gone into meltdown. You know, I've got this screaming run. So I've got run, running out into like a pack of dogs. And I'm thinking, where have all these dogs come from? You know, like... They're all barking and yapping, and I'm just trying to get to the rod. And so they're, they're running around, and, you know, I knew what they were. They were hunting dogs, but I didn't know why they were there. Oh, anyway, I picked up the rod, thinking that, you know, there's a fish on the end. And there's a set of pads further down, close to where I was fishing, and like I could see the pads moving and everything. Um and it was only, you know, it took a little while and all of a sudden I thought, I can see a set of antlers out there, you know, which I, I, I sort of looked twice, you know, in case it was a branch or something. And then, you know, the, and I thought, no, you know, I've, I've got a deer. <laughs> and what it was, the deer, you know, he'd gone through my line, obviously escaping the dogs. Um, but he was right down low in the water. He was obviously keeping as low down as he could, not to be noticed. But the antlers were sticking up in, in the air. So, you know, I've ended up with this deer. And uh, we, we were trying to get rid of the dogs. So, you know, we got the gate open and the dogs were going out. And so, yeah, I've gone out in the boat and, yeah, got the deer. <laughs> and the deer, well, he wasn't all, he was, it was wrapped around his legs, the lion. So, mm. yeah, it was, it was a weird one, you know, and... He was all right. He was just relieved to get untangled, I think. But yeah, it's a strange one. <laughs> I yeah, watching that video, I just think I couldn't do that. I don't think. I just think a, like a wild deer, especially especially if it's being hunted, it is going to be in self defence mode. And uh, yeah, it's quite incredible when you just I guess you're out in the boat and you've just got its hind leg <laughs> sort of up in the air and you're unwrapping it. And I thought that was quite incredible. <laughs> um, well, you you've sort of hit the nail on the head there really the fact that it was being hunted and that's when they're dangerous because i'll tell you what loads of people say to me about the wild boar you know and there's like obviously all these countries we go to a lot of them have got wild boar mm -hmm. and everyone's terrified of them and i'll tell you what we've seen hundreds of them over the years and i've sat down with them and fed them fed them out of my hand some of them never had an ag mm -hmm. aggressive one at all and it's only because they're trying to protect themselves. When they're being hunted and shot at, yeah, of course they're going to attack you. When they feel safe with you, they're all right, you know. And wild boar aren't wild at all, you know, mm -hmm. when they feel safe. They they come around your bivy, you put out a bit of maize, they, they'll eat it, and they're fine. You know, wildlife is fine if you don't antagonise it. Yeah, so sorry to cut. You're absolutely right. There's... um. I'm very lucky to live near the Forest of Dean. Uh, and okay. they, they, yeah, we've, we're really lucky. We've got wild boar there. There's obviously very few places that there's wild boar, um, truly wild boar in, in the United Kingdom. But there is in, in uh, the Forest of Dean. And absolutely right, I've fed very young ones. Um, 
out, literally out of my hand. They've been, you know, quite shy, but you can get them feeding. And, and you're right, Steve, it, it's, you know, wildlife like that, particularly bigger wildlife, uh, bigger mammals, they're very tame and they're inquisitive. Um, and uh, yeah, they're, they're not, then they're, they're not the, the scary beast that many people would make them out to be unless they're cornered or unless it's a, a sow, a mother with, with her young um, and she's cornered or she's pushed. But uh, yeah, it was interesting you say that. I know Europe, the, the continent is is uh, rife with, with wild boar, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, yeah, it must, be a, it must be exciting sort of fishing in that kind of area. I mean, I've, I've never fished abroad. Um, and I was saying to Pete earlier, actually, it's, for whatever reason, it, I've never been pulled towards it. If I had a week spare, I'd be down by the little unfished resi or something, you know. Um, but uh, but that side of it, the nature side of it, must be really unique, um, you know, being accustomed to, to, to the nature that we have in England and then going abroad and, you know, perhaps dealing with the wild boar or the koi pew. It, it, that must kind of present its own challenges a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's just something that you become accustomed to, you know, like me and, and my wife, Joan, you know, we would both go literally looking for the wild boar. We'd find tracks and follow the tracks and, you know, hope yeah. to see them. And yeah, you're the first person I've actually spoke to that, you know, sees it the same as me, you know, actually realizes that these aren't big, scary animals, you know, yeah. they're only scary because what we can do to them, you know, if we're attacking them, you, you know, they're going to attack you. It's it's natural but if you're good to them you know if they they feel like they're not in danger then yeah they just wander around like there's no problem yeah 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 very confident aren't they they can get really absolutely yeah yeah for sure so where are we heading now so you there pete yeah i am (laughs) yeah it's all right uh, (laughs) sorry mate no 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 sorry I'll, i'll shut up i'm gonna shut up no, I was. Uh, I, w- I wanted to chat to you. Uh, sort of like do a little bit about Cassie and, and the the, Ke- the Kevin Ellis thing. I didn't know if that was going to be your inspiration. Uh, I know it sort of was for a lot of guys um, back in the day and why they headed onto the continent. Um, I think sort of moving on, we've got a few. So me and Sam put a few sort of questions down, didn't we, Sam? Um, unless you sort of mm. got anything else you want to sort of um, speak to Steve about. Um something that i read that, that it's a bit of a selfish question actually uh being a guy that's that's you know got a got a gal but also absolutely loves fishing i mean my time is tight i, I run a couple of businesses and um and i freaking love fishing but i also love i also love my girlfriend you know a little little yeah, uh, violin moment how did how did you or didn't you get joan on board with your angling was she already into that or was it your influence how did that happen i don't know if you've ever spoken about this oh yeah well not often actually it's not often it's asked but um no i mean she was already very much into it she she had always fished before we met Mm. um and she was actually running the the bar at farlow's that was how we met the bar and restaurant oh wow uh, yeah that, that was yeah literally a bit of closed season fishing i went up and yeah, she was in there running the bar and you know and the rest of, as they say is history but um when we got together um you know the first thing she said i'd love you to take me to cassian and you know of course i'm thinking well she's expecting like bivvies and comfortable beds and i said look you know in those days 
there was no night fishing or anything like that. I said, look, you know, it's, it's not that sort of place. You, you've got to be a bit careful. You can't have beds. You can't have a bivy. And she said, yeah, that's that's fine with me. I'm all right with that. And so we went. And, yeah, she was absolutely fine with it. You know, and uh, the, the thing with Joan is that she doesn't want to be left behind on any trip. She wants to be on it, all of them. You know, I don't have to persuade her to go. Um, I would have to persuade her not to go if I wanted to go with mates, if you know what I mean. Mm. And then she'd have the young. No, she wants to be there all the time. Absolutely. I, I heard a story that she, um, that, that you were, I, th- I think it was Cassian, you were fishing and you went, I think you went to the shops or something. You were gone maybe an hour. You come back, she sat in the water with a rod and a net, broken her leg, and she, she's got a, a huge fish in the net. Is is that real? Is that right? Yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah, I mean, th- this is how much she loved being at Cassian because we we were there. It was January as well. It was freezing cold, and we'd just moved into another swim, uh, and she had fallen down the rocks. I heard her, heard her calling. Wow. So I had to literally get in the boat and go round to her, get her in the boat and get her back to the swim. And uh, she said, you know, I think I've broken my leg. But she said, we're not going to the hospital. We're not going home. Just wrap it up. I'll be all right. Wow. So literally, I just, you know, we tore up a T-shirt and wrapped it around her leg. And so you can imagine what it's like. She she can't move anywhere. <laughs> so I thought, right, we're stuck with this swim. And nothing was happening. You know, we'd been there a week. Not a bleep. But it was the start of January. And I knew the guards were going to be around looking to check yeah. the new permit. So I mm-hmm. said, look. I propped her up on the chair, propped her leg up. I said, look, I'm only going to be about 45 minutes, an hour at most, just to get the new permits. And she said, yeah, fine, you know, I'm all right here. <laughs> so, you know, you can guess what's coming, can't you? You know, like I've, I've gone <laughs> off, got the permits, and literally coming back across the lake through the bridge, and I thought, I'm sure that's her sitting in the lake. And, you know, I was trying to strain my eyes, and I thought, what's, what's she doing? And... uh <laughs> So I've, I've gone across and, yeah, literally, she's sitting in the margins with a, a landing net in one hand and a rod in the other. And she said, well, I couldn't move till you come back. As soon as I've literally gone out of sight, one of the rods has gone off. It was her rod as well. It wasn't my rod. Um, and, it, yeah, it was a 41-12 mirror. Jeez. Yeah, so she had to literally shuffle down yeah. to get the rod and then shuffle back up to get the landing net, shuffle back and, and get into the edge to net it basically um what, what a woman this, this well, is this is who dedication I've been, for you yeah it's the kind of lady i've been looking for i mean it did what happened then did you did you pack up and and head off to the hospital or, Believe or, it or, not, or what? We, we actually stayed there another two weeks <laughs> with, <laughs> she, yeah, with a broken wanna, leg with a broken leg yeah and it was broken you know she I looked after her as best, you know, <laughs> as best I could, you know. I like, pro- <laughs> okay. um, oh, she, gosh, yeah, it sounds she, terrible, doesn't it? It does, mate. Yeah, it really does. Was she happy to stay or did you? Oh, did yeah. You- no, it was her. It wasn't my idea. It was her. She said, no, I, we, we're staying. She Wow. She loved it that much. She didn't want to leave. But as soon as we come home, obviously, I, I, honestly, I still had to persuade her. She didn't want to go to the hospital. I persuaded her mm. to go. And then she was in a, a cast for the next, you know, 12 weeks or whatever it was. 
Jeez. Wow. See, Had it already I, set? I, sorry, like bones, yeah. when they break, they, they set in the wrong place if you don't get them sorted. Yeah, no, it, it, was, it was okay. It was okay. Yeah, they, they still did whatever they did with it and it, it worked out okay. Yeah, see, I, I, I would have seen, I think I've been going for the wrong women. I'd have seen that as a <laughs> test. When she said, don't worry about it, I'll stay, I, I'd be thinking, hang on, this is this is some kind of test. <laughs> you know, she, <laughs> she's feeling me out. But uh, you, it sounds like you got a good woman there. That's, uh, she, that, she's that's amazing. Off. Yeah, two weeks of a broken leg. That, that is honestly amazing. Um, well, there's, there's no one, there's literally no one else would do that. Not a no. man, woman or anything, no. is there? No, but no. she did. Yeah, she no. did. No, and I mean, uh, uh, and actually, probably a good, good time to to give Joan some credit. I mean, from from what I've read and and the bits I know, she she's been with you pretty much every step on on your adventure. Certainly uh, overseas, um, she sounds like a phenomenal woman and probably a, a better angler than than most of us. Certainly, probably a better angler than me and and Pete. <laughs> she she sounds <laughs> she sounds incredible. Yeah. Yeah, she's, um, she, she's got actually got a very good angling mind. I mean, you know, she doesn't fish so much these days as such. She doesn't have rods out herself. She, she's still, you know, I say to her, do you, do you want this one or whatever? You know, and every now and then she'll have a fish. But she'll sit there and uh, she'll say, why don't you put one over there? You know, and it's mm. like, why would I put one over there? And you know, she's always right. Do you know what I mean? It's annoying. But <laughs> she, yeah, she... Yeah. She sees things that I don't always see. Women's um, intuition, yeah. Yeah, she she's got a good angling brain, you know. She has she she sees things. Mm. Have you have you ever um have you ever been out on the bank and you know obviously you you with a lady? Have you ever been scared? Has there, there ever been any situations where you've been feeling uncomfortable? Um, to be honest, no, really. Um, there there was one time in France where like this group of guys come down and, and they weren't nice. Do you know what I mean? They wanted to be where we were. Uh, they didn't like us being there. Obviously didn't right. like English. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, they made it quite uncomfortable. Um, ended up getting on sort of all right and fishing next to each other. Um, but that, that could have gone very wrong. Yeah. Um, you know, and they weren't nice people. Right. Um, but otherwise, no, I mean, you know, it's strange to say, but all these countries we've been to, the people have always been so good to us and so welcoming, uh, and they really have. You know, it doesn't matter where we've gone. We go into the middle of nowhere. You know, we could, it's, it's the sort of thing that would bother a lot of people, if you know what I mean, if you just tell them, oh, we just wet drove there and got the gear out and fish. But, but we do, and yeah, well, apart from that one situation everyone's been really nice to us you know it's amazing but um you know joan always says you reap what you sow you know you get back what you give out she's always really friendly and so am i and you know it seems to come back to us that way so we've been lucky really but we've never had a problem that's lovely yeah that that that's good to hear and i think it kind of you know moves on to our one of our final questions which is is there any occurrence, and, and you did touch upon this early with the deer, obviously, which is a mental story, but have you ever had any um, strange occurrences on the bank, anything spooky, any any situations or stories that you can recall that have just been 
unfathomable. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, there was there was one time. It, it was a strange one. We it was well, it was New Year's Eve, and we were up the top end of the North Farm at Cassian, which is it's the wildest part. You can only get there by boat. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And all around you is like woodland. You know, there's houses up the top, but they're, they're quite a way off. And so we're sitting there, New Year's Eve, having a little drink, just thinking about sort of getting into the bivvy and shutting down. It's getting a bit cold, about 8 o'clock in the evening, and we could hear something coming through the bushes. And, you know, at that time of night, it was always like wild boar. So we sort of went a bit quiet, you know, waiting for them to come out so we could see them. And so this rustling, you know, it's getting closer and closer. And eventually, this old boy just wandered out of the bushes. And I looked at Joan, she looked at me, and and waiting for him to say something. But it was like he was disorientated. He didn't know we were there. And he, and he sort of went to walk into my rods, so I had to stop him. And I, I, to this day, I've got no idea where he could have come from because to get to that point, walking, would be down a mountainside, you know, for like a mile and a half, a couple of months, you know, it's a, it's a job and a half. And this was an old boy as well. And and he wasn't drunk, you know, you could, I can tell you, but he was a bit disorientated and sort of like, you know, he couldn't speak English. And I was trying to say, where are you trying to get to? And he was sort of just pointing towards like the margins of the lake. He was going to walk around the edge of the lake. Well, I knew that if he walked around there, there was no, he would just end up in the lake. There was, mm-hmm. you couldn't get round. So I thought, Christ, what am I going to do? And I said to Joan, I said, I've got to try and get him up to the road. You know, and the road was, it's it's a mile away through, it's an uphill struggle through the mountainside in in just trees. And But what else could I do? I thought, I've got to, you know, there's nothing else I can do. Um, So I said to Joan, you just have to stay here. And literally she thought, it was a, a trick to get me up there and I was going to get mugged by a gang of them or, or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. But I've, I've just started walking with this old boy up through the woods and uh, we come to one house and I said, you know, is this where you're looking for? And he went, no, 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 no. And I thought, oh, carry on then. And then in the distance, I could hear one of my alarms going. I thought, oh, Jones caught a carp, <laughs> as usual, <laughs> as soon as I'm off the scene. Um, and so, like, two hours later... Literally, we've gone through the undergrowth, through up, over rocks and boulders, and I've got him up to the road, and and he was sort of hugging me and everything, and I'm, I think what do I, I've I've just got to let him, you know, I, we're on the edge of a town, so I took him down to the edge of the town. I thought, right, he's going to be around people here. At least he's going to be all right. Mm. And he and he started pointing to the bar. He wanted me to go for a drink with him. <laughs> And I thought, oh, Jesus, I'm not going for a drink with you. I, I, I've left Joan. She's got a, a fish. And I just had to leave him. I got him to the edge of the town. I could see there was people around. I said, right, off you go, mate. And I, I turned around and just left him, you know, with, you know, in the town. He, I know he would have been all right. Someone would have taken care of him. Yeah, didn't, I yeah. didn't know what to do. Um, so I've just, I've, I've legged it back down the through the woods, hoping that I'm going the right way. I didn't know where I was going, to be honest. 
Got back to Joan. There she is standing with, as usual. She's standing there with a landing net. Oh, I thought you was never coming back. You know, she's got a, <laughs> a carp in a landing net. She had no torches. She couldn't do anything. She oh, stood there for an me. hour with this fish in a landing net. And, uh, you know, to this day, I've, we've got no, we've spoken about it a lot. I've got no idea where that old boy come from. He, he just wandered out of the bushes, literally. Mm. Mm. Weird, weird situation it was. Very weird. Yeah, very weird. Nothing spooky ever happened. Um, no, I, I mean, I don't believe in ghosts anyway, really. Yeah. But, I, you know, I would get spooked out if, you know, something like that happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, no, nothing really spooky. No, you know, it's everything's got an explanation. If you hear noises, it's normally a, it's a deer or a boar. Mm. So... Mm. Absolutely. And kind of uh, just just before we wrap up, um, just the last real question for one of a better phrase. And then what we'll do is we'll do a quick fire. Um, if you were to, you know, obviously you're very experienced with fishing overseas, say myself and Pete, we're kind of, you know, in our in our mid mid ish, let's say mid ish 30s. <laughs> Pete's a bit younger than me, um, you know. Advice to us, neither of us have ever angled abroad. We fish very, very hard in the UK and uh, and we're lucky enough to fish in some very special places. But let's say we wanted to go for a little bit of a overseas adventure, uh, maybe a one-off, um, but we wanted to make it, you know, absolutely epic and really count for something. What, Where would you point us in the direction of and, and how would we go about doing it? Well, I mean, these days, if you want a lake, well, if you want a session where you're going to fill your boots with big fish, nope. it's Croatia. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, if you want to go off the beaten track, you're still, Cassian's still the best water in the world. It's hard work, mm. it's only day fishing, it's still the best. Until you've experienced Cassian, you know, it's, for me, it's still the best water in the world. Really? Um yeah, it is. Yeah, I've never found anywhere better. I really haven't. And I've been at some lovely places. Um, some of the, the the best waters I've fished in the last few years have been in Sweden. You know, Sweden, you don't hear about Sweden, and it hasn't got monsters, but oh, it's got some beautiful scaly carp. Stunning carp, yeah. Just ancient kind of glacial it, it they look like they've been frozen half of their like half of their yeah, lives I, I can see that one's got oh, you turned on isn't it? i yeah. absolutely loved it out in sweden because i fished three lakes out there and we was on our own on every single one of them you know there's hardly any carp anglers out there there's not a lot of carp but what are out there are those scaly long ancient old beautiful things it's yeah oh, it's it's an amazing place mm. Yeah, so so you you're saying Sweden basically. Um, if that's what you want, well, you yeah. know, it, it depends what you want. There's there's a whole world out there, and there's so many different avenues you can go down. You know, you can go for yeah. the little commercial where you have the whole lake and you have the facilities <clears throat> like the secret garden. You can go for the big fish, catch loads and get big ones, or mm. you can go. You know, there's it's whatever takes your fancy. It's all out there. It just depends what route you want to go down. Yeah, I, I mean, we're 
but both of us have done most of our carp angling in Cornwall, which isn't, you know, isn't renowned for big fish. But what we've been really blessed with is, uh, the, you know, some some really big unfished waters that, you know, maybe you're not supposed to be there, um, but it's just fishing for the unknown. And for, for me and Pete, that, you know, that's what we do. That's what we want. We don't want to just, you know, get a load yeah, of good fish. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, I'll get you. Yeah. yeah. It sounds like Sweden is is maybe <laughs> maybe, maybe Cassian as well. No, Cassian's very special. It's it's very special. You know, I know it's 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 been around a long time, but it's still so very special. It really is. It's a lovely place. And it's got that history, you know, it's it's like the red mirror of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. There we go, Pete. We're gonna to have to do Sweden and uh, and Cassian <laughs> at some point. Um, yeah, don't sound bad. Two <clears throat> two decent places to go to. That is. Do it. Do it whilst we can. I think you uh, <laughs> you made that clear earlier. You know, the, the, these opportunities aren't around forever, are they? Um, the the mere being a, a case in point. You were you were. Sounds like you were super lucky in in how you went about it and. You just got that, you got that carp, you got the black mirror just in the nick of time, mate, which is absolutely phenomenal. Um, and it's, uh, it's quite a claim to fame to be the last angler to ever get, a, to ever get the black mirror, let alone get an, get a bite there. That that's fun. That's just incredible. You know, legendary stuff. It's um, yeah, very true. What you say, you, you take the moment while it's there, you know, nothing lasts yeah. forever. No. And if there's ever a fish you want to catch, don't waste any time. Get out there and go after yeah. it because, yeah, these fish, they're like us. We don't last forever. So you've got to make the most of your time. There we go. There we go. Perfect. We've got one more quick question for you, and then we're going to go on to five quick fire questions. Uh, we'll only take up another five minutes of your time, Steve. Thank okay. you so much for uh, for being here this long. I know it's late. It's uh, it's 10 o'clock here as, as we're recording this. But um, last question for you is... Um, let me just get that up. Yeah, bait-wise. Um, now, obviously, th- th- this isn't something that certainly I've not heard you talk about a lot. When it comes to bait, are you are you someone who you just use what you get and, and that's that? Or do you ever go kind of outside the box with bait and, and, uh, and, and, and utilize some different tools, as it were? No, I'm actually quite boring in that respect and, and just use it as it comes. You know, I really do. Um, you know, I've used like Scopex squid is my go-to bait because yeah. everywhere I've taken it, whether it's, you know, whether I got a Cassian or Rainbow or, or Fawny Weir down the road or Sweden, you know, first night in Sweden, it worked, you know, and that's how it is with Scopex squid. So I don't need to do anything to it. I don't need to tweak it or have you know i could get special bakes made they nash have always said like if i wanted anything they would do it mm. um but i don't need to because literally i use the same gear as what everyone else gets off the shelf and it just it just works it just works so i, I just stick with that you know i'm i'm quite unadventurous in that respect um but only because i, I don't need to do anything else yeah yeah i get that i, I think Honestly, I think, I mean, me and Pete have spoken about this before. I think it can work against you because, you know, obviously, well, obviously to our listeners, me and Pete have spent many years rolling different baits. And um, the thing is when you're testing a new bait, 
you are by definition you are not fishing effectively because you don't know how good that bait's going to be whereas if you stick with a bait that you are confident in you know it does the goods i mean scopex squid how many big fish is that account for bloody countless well just yeah. thousands thousands yeah, ridiculous well one of, one of the good things about fishing for a long time like i have is that i've been through all that stage of self-doubt and mm. trying different things you know gone down the rig route when i'm not getting bites and the bait route and i've come out the other side and realized that once you've got a, a decent bait and a a decent rig it works everywhere you know and, it, and you see all of the guys that have been around a long time like the daryl pecks and all that they don't do anything particularly fancy they haven't got any yep. major tricks up their sleeve they just fish very well yep. with good gear and good bait yeah absolutely I, I was saying this the other day on another podcast it, it's you know pretty much everyone has got a good rig these days like the, in this day and age it, no one's got a bad rig you know, it, it, it and, and, and most people are fishing with a good bait. It comes down to finding the fish, the watercraft, figuring out their patterns and, and, and going at, at it from that angle. Um, so I agree with you, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, you, you got to put your energy into what really counts in this day and age. And, and as I said, the, the good blade, good baits are plenty, good rigs are plenty. And, um, it's all, yeah, the, uh, yeah. the, the biggest edges these days are being able to know how much bait to use when to use it and where to use it you know people might have a good bait or exactly the same bait but not knowing how much to use or where to put it and how to put it in Hmm. that's what makes the difference just that experience really you know of just being in that situation time and time and time again and you think well i just know that much in that place is what's needed at the moment yeah and you know it take it, those are the things that just take time 100 percent, absolutely and no one knows that better than you i'd imagine you've been in the game a long time steve we've got six quick fire questions for you which you just answer them real quick you can go okay. off on little tangents you can give us a few sentences on each and that's it before we jump into that which will be our final piece is there anything you wanted to say? Any any message you want to leave with the listeners of the Carpangular Chronicles podcast? Well, I mean, obviously, thanks so much for listening to everything. And, uh, yeah, just go out there and enjoy your fishing. You know, don't worry too much about what other people are doing, what they're catching. Uh, every dog has his day. One thing I've learned over the years is there's always a time where other people are catching more than me, they're catching bigger fish and just enjoy their captures and you'll feel a lot happier about your fishing in the long run. Enjoy their captures and they'll enjoy yours and enjoy fishing. Yeah, very good message. Very, very good. I love it. Okay, quick fire time. Pete, do you, do you want to do this or do you want me to shoot with it? Yeah, I've got them. I've got them in front of me. Um, so I saw Go for it. it. Go for it, Pete. Um, so you're ready, Steve. I'm ready. Ready when you are, Pete. Um, so the best angler you have ever fished with? I would have to say Rob Malin, because he, he just found a way to catch carp. And it wasn't, once he'd caught the carp, you could look at it and think, car, you know, I could have done that. But the point was, I hadn't done it and no one else had done it. He had done it. And he just always found a way to catch the carp. And I'll fish with a lot of good anglers. Uh, I'd probably 
put him up there as the best. Yeah, nice, nice. I like that. Um, so the next one uh, we have got, um, so it's a preferred method of catching them. Uh, would you rather hunt them down, i.e. stalking, uh, or would you prefer to estimate where they will be um, and bait and wait? Uh, personally, my, my favourite way of catching them would be in the edge, sort of Mia style, you know, baiting up and waiting for them to come in because that's the most exciting probably 95% of my fishing is baiting for them where I know they're going to come in and eat it and waiting for them. Um, but the most exciting is the stalking style of, of approach because it just doesn't get more exciting than that, I don't think. It's hard to beat, isn't it? It really is. Yeah, absolutely. Do, do you do much floater fishing as well or do you sort of tend to leave that? leave that? No, I, I, I still do it. Um, not as much because... Uh, European waters don't tend to lend themselves to floater fishing, so it's only when I'm at home. Um, but I do love it when I get the chance. I do love it. Mm, yeah, that's brilliant. Um, yeah, no, just exciting. I think. Um, so going back to your European fishing, uh, if you could only fish in one country again, which would it be? Blimey, that's a good one, um, and not an easy one to answer actually, um, because. The obvious answer would be France, but I feel like France isn't what it was 20 years ago. France 20 years ago was all open to being discovered, mm -hmm. whereas like now France has all of its lakes have got their own uh, local anglers on, if you like, they're French anglers, and they're, they're, not, <laughs> they're not that receptive to us going on there. So it's... Um, you know, one country, God, blimey, that's a difficult one. It really is. Um, it might be somewhere like Belgium because Belgium, you know, they've got the same mentality as us. They've got some beautiful carp. Um, that would certainly be high on the list. Or Germany because I've met a lot of German people over the years, got on very well with them. I seem to have a really good relationship with German carp anglers. And their fish are amazing. So perhaps out of all of them, I'd say Germany. Perhaps Germany, yeah. Okay. Uh, hang on. So, so, sorry to interrupt, fellas. Hang on a minute, Steve. So you, you're, saying, you're saying Germany, but you said for us, Switzerland would be the place Sweden. to go. Sweden. Sweden, sorry. Sweden, Sweden. You're just what, thinking what, of what, what? Yeah, I am. Yeah, <laughs> that's my problem all over. <laughs> <laughs> what? What's the what's the deal there? What, what where's the difference between uh, what what you would say we should fish for and and where you'd want to fish? What what well, makes you'd want to stick for? Yeah, I mean, you're basically talking about a one-off trip or a couple of trips. Ah. You know, there's not many waters in Sweden. There's very few waters. There's probably um, you might have a, only a dozen lakes in Sweden with carp in. You know, the only lakes in Sweden that have got carp the ones that have been stopped by carp anglers themselves so ah. there's not many of them whereas oh. germany's got a national stocking policy and you know you've got a lot of old lakes in germany that hardly get touched absolutely don't get touched with good fishing um so that. yeah we overlooked that early you know mm. the problem with germany is that most of them are old club waters and you need to know people in germany to actually get on those lakes you know, they're not waters you can just go out and fish. Right. 
that that makes perfect sense and i feel silly for asking now <laughs> but you, you well, see no, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great question actually yeah no, there's, but... there's only a few waters in switzerland with carpet sweden. sweden bloody hell keep doing that <laughs> i've got these 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 swiss blondes on my mind uh, uh, uh switzerland uh, sweden there's only sweden. a few of them yeah, Sweden. <laughs> yeah, there, there's not many. There's not many at all. Wow. No, wow. and uh, the first one I fished, which was the most amazing place, um, it was actually a guy that I met on Cassian probably 20 years ago, mm. and he had put the fish in this lake in Sweden himself 30 years ago. And, you know, they, they have long, cold winters out there and all that. They don't spawn. They haven't spawned at all. And all the carp in there now are these same carp that he put in there 30 years ago. They're still in there. They're still growing very slowly. Wow. Um, yeah. Sorry, they don't spawn? No, there's, there's there's nothing grown. There's no young ones grown on. Wow. All these carp that are in there are the same ones. And they live well. You know, they survive. Um, but because they don't get fish for, basically, hardly get fish for. Um, but they're very old. They're 30 years old, these fish. But they're still 20s and 30s. There's one 50-pounder. Um, that was like the... You know, the extreme, just mm. one-off grower. Um, but, yeah, they're not fast growers, but they live a long time. That's fascinating that they don't spawn. I mean, I, I wonder if that's part of it, because I think it, it, it definitely takes it out of the carp, doesn't it, spawning? Both the males and the females, I think. Well, yeah, very much so. I mean, maybe there's lakes in Sweden where they do spawn, but, you know, certainly the ones, there is a carp farm, out there you know there is a guy who actually yeah. uh grows you know spawns carp so it is possible but that's obviously under controlled yeah situations uh but no on this first lake i fished you know those those carp that are in there are still the original ones that he put in 30 years ago wow mm. are, are they all glacial lakes I've, I've never been over there but i mean i i that in my mind's eye, they're all glacial lakes. Yeah, and... they, they, they are. Yeah. That's, that's basically exactly what they are. You know, yeah. they're, they're typical how you can imagine. They sort of slope off and go down to a deep sort of bowl in the middle or whatever. Yeah. They're all reed-lined. You know, there's loads of reeds, thick reed beds all the way around, uh, pine trees. You know, they're, they're absolutely stunning places. They really are. It's a stunning country. Presumably, yeah, really, you're really nice country. you're limited as well with how many months of the year you can fish, because um, they've got they have quite a um, long hard yeah, winter over there, so. don't they? Yeah, you know, by the winter they're talking about driving cars, you know, across the lake and going ice fishing and <laughs> and all that, you know. So yeah, the, the season's quite short over there. Um, you you have got those sort of six seven months where it's fishable, and then when it gets cold, it gets cold very quick. So the season shuts off very quick. I wonder if that's got anything to do with the uh, the spawning. Who knows? Uh, well, I should think it has, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know the ins and outs, but I would say, yeah. I would say that's, you know, the reason. Just uh, probably the normal spawning time or whatever, you know, it's still, it's just too cold. That's it. Nice. Yeah, good. Um the next one uh, that we had, easy one for you, Steve. Uh, boily or particle? Um, well, boily, basically. I do use both, though. You know, I often, you know, I'm a big believer in hemp. So I'll often use the Scopex squid with hemp. Um, but as a rule, you know, uh, yeah, I, I'm a big believer in boilies catch the biggest fish because they tend to do that. 
So, yeah, boilies for me. Yeah, I think history sort of uh, dictates that one, doesn't it? Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, and this is our final one for you. Um, so, if you could go back, uh, would you do anything differently in your angling career? Um, if if yeah, if I, well, I would yeah, because if I knew what I know now back then, yeah, there, there's so many things that I could have done better. Um, I would have made more use of me early years at Cassian, you know, fishing the places when I know now that the big fish lived, you know, they, they tended to live in certain areas. Um, and yeah, you know, this, I, I would love to go back to Fox Pool. I fished Fox Pool, long, mm-hmm. you know, the old Longfield, and I've never caught a fish out of there. And um, it's always sort of niggled me. I'd love to go back and put that right. Um, but, you know, other than that, you know, it's, it is what it is, you know, it, it life is a learning curve and fishing is the same so it's I, I i've only kept going this long if you like because i've enjoyed the journey that i've taken you know there's loads of people that come into it these days and five years they're gone because it's like i've got to catch them now and they've got to be big <laughs> you know and it's like it's never going to last long whereas for some reason you know i've still got the passion to get out there and do it so you know, I suppose in a way I've done it right over the years. So, you know, I couldn't really change too much, I suppose. <laughs> no, I think I think that's a yeah, fantastic way to round it up. Um, have you got anything else, Sam, that you wanted to add? No, no, no. I mean, I, I, yeah, I've got about 100 questions <laughs> that I could ask. But um, <laughs> I think, yeah, Steve, you, you've fished so many other waters um, that have just imprinted in carp angling history that we could talk about for hours on end but i think uh certainly for this episode that we've done you justice and and we've really dived into some um some some epic stories so uh no thank you so much for coming on steve honestly it's absolute pleasure for us um i could listen to you all day and um yeah it's it's been a fantastic experience so thank you you so much it's been brilliant i've really enjoyed it you know sam and pete you know i've enjoyed uh, talking to you both and you know reliving those experiences of the mirror and never get fed up with talking about it so yeah. I, I really appreciate all of it absolutely we could <laughs> we could have spoken for hours and hours and hours on on that place i think uh i think you're, you're probably just brimming with stories but uh yeah it's really inspiring stuff i'm i'm i know me personally if no one else i'm super ex- inspired to uh get back out get back out there after the lockdown and uh, make my own memories for sure. Well, it won't be too long before we get out there. Hopefully, will it, you know, fingers crossed time. Every day is a day closer to getting the rods back out. You know, that's the way I look at it. So yeah, it won't be long. Fingers crossed, mate. Fingers crossed. And that, that 16th 50, you never know that could uh, (laughs) be on the horizon soon. Let's hope. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Hopefully won't be too long. Yeah. Cheers, Steve. Thank you ever so much. Uh, you know, absolutely loved having you on. Cheers, Steve. Bye-bye. Good night. Brilliant. Thanks ever so much, both of you.